High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, Pizza Hut workers, shirtless folk, and I guess all you Floridians out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where and some friends look back at our teenage years with the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school's in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I... Would like to see the results. Today we're chatting Bully, and our guest is Danny Kim. But homework, 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 of course, is to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. While you're there, leave us a positive rating or a five-star review if possible. Also, remember, class participation is a huge part of your grade. Follow us on social media. High School Slumber Party on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Love hearing from you guys, so hit me up. Give me some suggestions. Maybe you want to be a guest on High School Slumber Party. Maybe you're worthy of it. Hey, I'm willing to listen to volunteers. That doesn't mean that you all get to guest with me because, I don't know, some of you might be unhinged. I don't know all you, but I'm looking forward to getting to know all of you. So there I go again. I'm rambling. But if you're a big fan of the show... You're probably used to that. Have you listened to our episodes that are already out, all 300 plus of them? I hope you have. If you haven't, check those out at the archive at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Of course, Cage Club is the home of so many other great pop culture podcasts. I have guested on a fair amount of them, so if you like the sound of my voice, Check them out for that reason. And if you don't, guess what? Most of the episodes don't feature me. So check those out as well. Let's see. Too Fast, Too Forever, the Fast and Furious podcast. Fast X just came out a couple weeks ago, and they are all over that film. I went with them actually to watch it opening night. Woo! What an ending. What a doozy. We're getting more of those for sure. Let's see what else. Oh, Third Time's a Charm. I've guessed it on that show a lot. Mike says I'm the unofficial co-host from time to time. Mike Manzi, of course. That's who I'm talking about. And I recently was on the... Whoa, whoa, whoa. The bell does not dismiss you. I dismiss you. I was just getting in to this great guest appearance I had on Third Time's a Charm. We covered Guardians of the Galaxy 3, fresh-ish in theaters. The foodie films man, Kyle Reinfried, was there as well. Check that out. Also, Off Network. I was recently on an episode of White People Problems, the OC podcast. Check that podcast out as well. And of course, I co-host with the aforementioned Mike Manzi. 
we co-host together Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar, the Francis Ford Coppola podcast. Apocalypse Now, we're deep in that as well, deep down the river, so check those episodes out. And for this podcast, we've been really deep diving, Island and I, my co-host on the AP episodes, some great films of the last couple of years, including Pretty Baby, Brooke Shields. That was a great doc, a lot of positive, interesting reaction about that one. Please check that episode out as well. So for today, as I mentioned, we are talking Bully. Danny Kim is here. If you've seen Bully before, you know it's a Larry Clark film. And before we play the trailer, I do want to warn listeners out there, this is a pretty heavy movie. Dan Kim is a high school classmate of mine, and we have a lot of fun talking about it. But that's kind of just because we have a rapport, right? Like, if you've never seen this movie and you are triggered by things like violence and rape, you might want to skip this episode. You might want to skip this film. Once again, it's a Larry Clark movie. It is in your face. It is pretty visceral, right? So, fair warning on that. And remember, the new order of business here in High School Slumber Party, we're always changing, we're always evolving, we're super seniors, but yet... We're going to make some changes. Not playing the trailer a week ahead of time. Playing the trailer on the episode. If you want to know what episodes are coming out next on High School Slumber Party, you have to follow us on social media. So follow us there. But here is the trailer for Bully. Since we were like almost born and shit, man. Fucked up my fucking cars! Oh! oh, fuck! He's always been like this. My best friend. He beats me. He's raped me before. The worst part is the way he picks on Marty. So, what are you gonna do, Lisa? I'm gonna kill him. Hi, kids. Hi, Mrs. Connolly. I'm gonna kill him! Hey! Hey! <laughs> It won't that get blood ever. Let's kill him! Hi, Mom. Hey, Loverbug. What are you kids doing tonight? Um, probably going to the movies. Careful with my car, honey. Okay, Mom. An intense movie, an interesting movie, a movie with surprising levity at times for how dark it is. Definitely, definitely continue listening to this episode if you're interested in that. And once again, if it's not your cup of tea, totally get it. There'll be another episode of High School Slumber Party coming out soon. I've been recording a lot these days. Can't wait to release some of the interesting and fun films we've talked about. But for now, pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sleeping at Brian's. Because we're about to get our party on. Let's take it away with something off the Bully soundtrack. Ooh. How about old dirty bastard? Last call. Class dismissed. Keep 
Disregarding this dirty and it's stinking. Funky other heavy Lapuso, I was thinking about dropping this single on the chart. Letting you know, hey, the kid has heart. I never deny myself as being dope. But in my last damn nigga slept on my notes. You thought that I was weak? Huh, let me speak. My rhymes come funky than your grandfather's feet. So listen, mister, don't you ever forget the rhyme is dirty. You couldn't even clean it with comment. Or even borax. I'm trying Ajax, only mix with the best. 48 tracks, yo. I get down with the A song sounds. Lyrics that be going yeah, hot take comes. What do you mean by hot? This is a uh, controversial movie. Oh, yeah, it really is. All right, Dan, introduce yourself, and then we'll talk about why this movie is so, I guess, controversial. Hi, I'm Dan Kim. I went to Northern Valley Regional High School, and our high school mascot is the Golden Knights. Of course, we went to school together, and our first year in school, 2001, the year of this film we're going to talk about today, Bully. Doubt you saw it in 2001, though, right? No, definitely not. No, I saw this while I was in college. So I'd say about maybe 12 years after it was released. And actually, Scuduto told me about this movie because Scuduto was kind of a film buffer for a little while. And uh, he watched Kids. And then yeah. I watched Kids before. And then he turned me on to Bully. And that's the first time I watched it. So it was maybe about 10 years ago I watched it. And I've only watched it once since uh doing this podcast i've actually never seen it this is my first watch um i've seen kids we've covered kids on the podcast so that's like what i know of larry clark and then just the reputation as well like have you seen any other larry clark films and you know what's your opinion of him um i've seen kids before and i've known larry clark originally as a photographer just from studying photography and oh, of like, course we did, yeah we did go over his like his photographs and his work and yet yeah, it's pretty in line with his uh his subject matter which is you know like deviant american use abusing sex and drugs and rock and roll well no rock and roll just sex and drugs <laughs> i feel like you had to say that but no more like sex drugs and skateboarding slash surfing oh yeah i guess like in his movies yes but in in his photographs it was i think it was like what like the late 60s early 70s and it was just it was just used just abusing methamphetamines and Oh really? Yeah, he's I think he's originally from Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And from what I read from his um autobiography, like he was originally like like a deviant youth himself. He started like shooting up amphetamines at a really young age. And then um at some point he picked up photography. I think his mom was like a photographer too, like a baby photographer. So I'm sure like he was always around that, but he ended up going back to his his old community that he grew up in and began documenting the, the kids that he grew up. I don't know if I don't know if it was the kids that he grew up with, but similar to that lifestyle that he grew up with. And I guess that's why he has such intimate access of like, uh, teenagers abusing drugs and having sex. And for a photographer coming out of that era, it was, um, American documentary photography was becoming appreciated as an art form. So, um, you know, he was able to kind of, I, I think his work was a lot more receptive in like the art world, not necessarily journalism. But yeah, you could look at it both ways because they're both technically documents of real life. But he had that real unique, intimate access of a certain subculture in American like teenage youth. Yeah. And the thing that always fascinates me about him, like I didn't know all that about his photography. I knew he was a photographer. But when you mentioned like 60s and 70s, it just clicked back to like my research during kids and i forgot that like kids was his first film which is way late in his professional career right that's 95 
Uh, and he has this sort of like second life uh, as a filmmaker. And then, you know, looking it up quickly, I totally forgot this, but it, while watching it, it reminded me of this filmmaker. I know, uh, not just Scorsese, but a guy you and I covered a lot here, Gus Van Zandt, has said that like his photography really influenced uh, Van Zandt's early work and like uh, just his filmmaking. And I could definitely like, um, you know, Elephant sort of reminds me of that like intimate personal style, especially when it comes to teenagers. So, you know, I, I guess I'm not surprised here. It's just crazy to me that like he influenced like filmmakers and then became one himself. Yeah. What I what I really like about Larry Clark is like I look at him as one of those photographers. Not he's he's not like an outsider looking in. He was already an insider mm. just documenting his world. And there were other photographers in that sort of realm, but I think his subject matter was definitely a little more uh, controversial. I think it was definitely a lot more graphic. Just from like what I've seen, maybe I'm sure there are other photographers photographers from that era that uh, you know documented you know teenagers using drugs and having sex and like playing with guns but the graphicness of his work was definitely on a different level since he he grew up in that era and he was kind of one of them he was so in kids and bully especially in bully he was able to capture that time and period of uh, Hollywood Florida or New York City in the early 90s when it easily could have been a story of his youth and it could have easily been a, like a period piece of, you know, teenagers in the uh, late sixties and seventies. And from like an art direction point of view, like I think that could have been a lot easier to execute because I think the style of clothing and life and art back then was a lot more distinct in, in those decades. But, you know, when you look at like the late, um, early, you know, '90s and early 2000s. It's, it's the the lines become a lot more blurred, but I feel like he captured that that era so well, um, and he didn't fall into the trap of you know making a period piece of you know this nostalgic teenage teenagers of the '60s and '70s. It's funny because the last movie we talked about together, City of God, was about a photographer, but that's a period piece, right? This this is completely different this feels like i don't know there's a, there's definitely a realness to larry clark that i think a lot of people like and a lot of people don't like this movie was called uh voyeuristic the movie was called by people who didn't like it uh this movie was called exploitative you know before we do our deep dive into scenes and moments and stuff you like what do you think about those words when it comes to his work as a whole, and especially this film. Because, look, there's a lot of nudity here. He focuses on it. A lot of bad words, if you will. There's drug use, but, like, that's not the biggest thing here. It's just, like, very in-your-face, visceral. The punches look real, you know? Violence, rape, right? So, I guess, you know, back to the question. The criticisms like that, do you think they're valid? Yeah, I could, I could definitely understand where they're coming from. I mean, me personally, like, I, I don't necessarily agree from like a moral standpoint like oh it is exploitative it is voyeuristic like oh it's it's a it's a bad movie because it, sh it shows off way too much nudity but i understand where um larry clark maybe is coming from i could be wrong but th there are some shots in that movie where it's like it, it's an obvious like gaze of the female body where the camera work is so slow from like from 
the toes all the way like up the legs to the butt over the tits like it's it's obviously like a male gaze of the female body i could see that uh where that's coming from like of larry clark as a photographer because you know that's just the nature of photographers i think yeah when you think of again the context that this is a photographer well-known established photographer it makes a little bit more sense than like some dude shooting like a snuff film, you know. Let me read the back of the DVD for those of you, uh, those of you out there who are not familiar with the film Bully. There are a lot of films named Bully out there, by the way. This is 2001's Bully. Again, Larry Clark, can't miss it. Uh, Bobby Kent was a bully. Wait, what? Okay, sorry, th- I don't like this back of the DVD, but I'll read it anyway. Bobby Kent was a bully. A steroid-pumped 20-year-old. Let's back up a little. This is a movie mostly about teens some of the kids are a little older than teenage but they're definitely all like the same maturity level we see school at moments too some of the kids have dropped out of school so this is why some people could be like this is on the cusp of a teen film but it's a teen film most of the characters are teens all right i got my disclaimer out (laughs) Uh, bobby kent was a bully a steroid pump 20 year old who dominated his peers in their comfortable middle-class fort lauderdale beach community through psychological, physical, and sexual abuse. But on a summer night in 1993, Bobby was lured to the edge of the Florida Everglades with a promise of sex and drugs and was never seen alive again. The tormentor had become the victim in a bizarre and brutal act of vengeance carried out with ruthless efficiency and cold-blooded premonition by seven of his high school acquaintances, including his lifelong best friend, and instigated by one overweight, underloved teenager who believed her life would be perfect if only Bobby Kent was dead. Yes, like some of those things happen in the movie, but that makes it seem like a murder mystery, you know? Like, I don't know. It was pretty poorly written back of the DVD synopsis. I just don't think, like, if you read the back of that and knowing nothing about the movie and then you watch this movie, you're probably not going to enjoy it. Right. It probably come out as a an exploitative film, almost borderline pornographic that sounded like a like a lifetime movie <laughs> exactly like like i'm like oh it's a larry clark movie like the way i kind of approach it it's, it's going to be a portrait of american teens in a certain town in in middle class america for me there was nothing really exploitative or pornographic about it i think it's just a very brutal look i don't say brutal maybe that's a hard word but it's it's a very realistic look at the you know American suburban life in the middle class, how it can be pretty deviant and not really talked about. And just how they're, just how the characters are played out and stylized and, and dressed and the cars they drive, the the homes they come from, the homes they live in. I don't know. I just felt like it was so spot on. And in that time period too, it's, uh, I, I haven't really seen it, seen it that much from that certain time period where it's like, I'm not sure if it's supposed to take place in the 2000, like early 2000 when it was filmed, or if it was supposed to take place in 1991 when Bobby Kent was murdered. So a great question in doing the research. Larry Clark did, even though the story took place in 1993, to echo what you were saying before, he didn't want to put things in the background to make it feel like 1993. He just wanted a sort of early 2000s story there because he felt like it would take away from the realness of what he was shooting, especially with, you know, some of these people are are famous actors, some of them are not. But like you said, he didn't want people in 
like Saved by the Bell gear walking around, you know. Right, right. That's an there, exaggeration, there, but you know. There's like this weird like timeless quality to this movie mm-hmm. too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you mentioned it too, like the Florida-ness of this movie. I've yes. never lived in Florida, but I've been to Florida. But like this is like such a Florida movie. It's such a Florida story. Yeah, exactly. How they're, how they're not wearing shirts inside their house. Oh my god! That's, 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 I, I love every scene when they were not wearing shirts inside their house. Like casually, right? Yeah. Like if you came over my apartment and I wasn't wearing a shirt, like not that you'd be freaked out, but you would notice it. It wouldn't be like I was wearing a shirt, you know? Like, oh, Brian's not wearing a shirt. That's interesting. But it, but it makes sense to do that in Florida because I'm sure it's like hot and humid. You and, feel the humidity watching this movie, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And if you've never seen this movie and you're triggered by basically all the worst things, and maybe it's not for you. So I'm just giving you the warning out there because we're going to talk about a lot of probably crappy world stuff. So a, a couple other uh, notes I wanted to say. A gentleman named David McKenna wrote the screenplay. Larry Clark like wanted to do this story um, it is a true story. We'll get into that in a moment. But David McKenna wrote the screenplay. Larry Clark like rejected it several times. He finally accepted one, but he shot really like not so much based off the screenplay, but based off uh, a book, Bully, A True Story of a High School Revenge by Jim Schultz. The book is very um, numbers-based and analytical. Um, it tells the story, but it's from like a very straightforward perspective. And apparently Larry Clark on set would like read the book and be like, oh, we're going to do this scene now or that scene now, right? So uh, this pissed off the screenwriter so much that he removed his name from the credits. So you'll see Zachary Long as the credited screenwriter. Again, that's just because like Larry Clark's process was not by the book screenplay. And again, as alluded to, this is a true story. Larry Clark keeps the names in. Um, it's about the murder of Bobby Kent in 1993 who was murdered by a number of his... It says classmates in a lot of places, but more like his peers, right? You know, mostly teenagers. And it surprised people, I think, in the local Florida community. You hadn't heard this story before, Bully, right? No. But I guess it was... I mean, obviously it was national news because I started looking up, like, like uh, you know, like uh, like Dateline, Dateline type oh. special. I mean, well, it, I could it see does... it being on that, right? Like, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Because, like, I don't know, the, the TV used to be, like, left on in my house. And, like, one of those date lines would be on and about, like, a murder like that. And they'd be, like, drawn in, you know. So, like, yeah, it does make sense it was national news in that sense. But I don't think it was, like, Columbine, O.J. Simpson, trialness. I think people right. probably just rolled their eyes up. Teens in Florida, you know. Yeah. And what year did this happen? 1991? 93. Uh, 93, yeah. So, you know, there was I think there was a lot going on in the... In the news in like 93 also. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, to kind of flash forward to the end, they end up getting convicted. And there's title cards about like what happens to them. And almost all of them in the title cards get, you know, locked up forever. Someone gets the electric chair. That's all been commuted. So you could look that up yourself. But some of the kids are already out by now. Regardless, right? Like, I don't think if you're looking for this movie to move in a certain pace that feels like a thriller, I don't think it moves in that pace at all. Uh, it's more just like, you know, we're there watching this unfold. It does have like a, especially after the murder scene, it does have this like very disorienting sort of kind of this Gus Van Sant 
feel to it, like elephant, like you're just there kind of floating through the That's experience. That's a great way to put it, yeah. Um, rather than like, you know, you're not, you're not watching like a, a murder recreation mystery movie like like Zodiac or something where it's yeah. like, oh, Francisco, 5 p.m. And it's like, <laughs> not like, it's not all drawn out chronologically. Like he really puts you through that experience of being part, almost like you're almost part of that clique because you feel their anxiety. You feel like the energy of everybody getting excited to kill him and everything. And it's like, you laugh along with them when, when you know, when Marty Puccio starts dancing and starts saying, oh, we're going to kill him. We're going to kill him. It's like, we're like so drawn into that. And then after after the murder, when they start freaking out and they start getting anxious and they start telling everybody, it's like you start feeling that too. You're, I mean, you know, kind of like going back to you know Larry Clark being uh, being an insider in his world. Mm. You know, he kind of pulls you into that world too. He does a really good job doing that, where you're not like seeing these kids and murderers as like oh like they're murderers and they're criminals, but like they're they're like teenagers. And like he, he almost like he basically humanizes them. Um, there's a lot of scenes that humanizes all the characters. You don't see them as uh, you know cold blooded killers. Absolutely. Uh, just you know, back to your movie comps. I think another opposite movie is a movie I watched like last year, but that it was on the Boston Massacre bombing. Oh, it's called Patriot Day, and it's just like Mark Wahlberg finding the Boston Marathon killers. Um, and that's like chronological and that's like a manhunt and, you know, it's just like boom, boom, boom. But again, this this rolls along sort of like kids. And you're absolutely right. The anxieties you feel is from being in the inside. You feel like you're in that clique. And I thought back to my own teenage years and I was like, what would I do in this situation? And I would like to think I would not be involved in it. I, I don't I really don't think I would. But he's good at making you contemplate that and i was like damn i was such a dumb teen these are dumb teens and i was and i know that sounds like simplifying it but when you're young and you just don't have like real world experience sometimes you say and do stupid things not necessarily murder but i think drawing back to the bullying aspect of this another misnomer to the film or i don't know if misnomer is the right word i think a lot of people might watch this and think it's about like you're like straightforward school bullying, like, oh, I'm going to pound you, you know? But like the bully in this is, it's like a deep psychological bully. And I think he does a really, really great job, better than a lot of things I've seen on bullying, on capturing someone like that. Because I don't think the bully here feels like a bully, right? Like he doesn't think he's necessarily a bully. He's got this, this attitude of his is just so ingrained, right? He feels like, Marty is his actually his best friend, you know. Um, so, in terms of that, I think it captures that so well. And again, looking back, I think everybody, everyone I know at least who we went to high school with, and in general, like there was some form of bullying that they received, and there was some form of bullying that they were part of as well, right? Like that's just the high school. I don't know if it's still the case, but growing up, that was like the high school ecosystem, was it not? Right. There was like there was like a pecking order. You know, there was definitely uh, like a social like like uh, pecking order where you know like the biggest fish you know in the sea you know they'll they'll pick on a little fish and the smaller fish will pick on an even smaller fish and it, it, it's just a chain reaction all the way down. Bobby Kent's character, man, like yeah, like it's not it's like you said, it's not your typical bully. And he doesn't even realize that he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a bully. I'm, I'm, a, I'm king shit. I'm king of the hill. He's just projecting all of his insecurities. Yeah. 
onto Marty. And it's, it's just so uncomfortable to watch because uh, growing up, like being a teenager, I think we all had some like mild form of that, but obviously not in that extreme case as, as Bobby Kent. Yeah, I certainly hope not. Right. But I, again, I think Larry Clark does a really good job of like amplifying a little bit to capture that little part of us that had those insecurities and could behave like that. What did you think, I guess, because this is this part of the story is true. Um, these two guys had been to gay clubs together or that, you know, there's that scene with like the teen gay dancing. Yeah. Um, they had actually tried. They convinced an older person to make a porn film for them. It wasn't a, in real life. I'm saying it wasn't a very good porn film that it weren't able to sell it. Apparently, it was just like a naked 40 year old man like dancing with a dildo and the and and the porn um stores i guess if you will were like this isn't porn you know like this is just this is just a dude so while it was never confirmed it's i I guess it's never officially been confirmed that uh marty was gay obviously there was a lot of implication there right uh larry clark definitely uses this a lot as reasoning for marty's insecurities reasoning maybe why he was bullying oh you mean you mean bobby 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 sorry do you think he was effective in that yeah i think i think uh yeah the was at the amateur teen night like gay club and uh the the gay porn that they wasn't gay porn but the guy playing with the dildo uh home video vhs that they were trying to sell yeah, I think that that part of it is true. Where they, where I read that they, they kind of dabbled in gay porn, where they were filmed. They they had a VHS footage of a of a forty year old man playing with a dildo or something, and they tried to sell it to like local like porn shops, but never, um, they never got to sell that, that that tape. But also that that dance club scene, whether that's true or not, I think it just added another layer of tension and just uh, confused, like raging deviant behavior, especially from Bobby Kent, Uh, whether if it concludes whether if he was gay or not, I I think that's, I don't think it really matters, but it just added like this other complex layer to his, like his psychological landscape of, of his character. It's funny because in Elephant, we saw something similar. I mean, it was implied, um, gay relationship between the two killers there now this seems a little bit unrequited here i mean a lot unrequited i I guess it was an interesting wrinkle i could see how some people would be turned off by that but i don't think he's saying oh gay people are bad and this is this is why he did it i think it it's more of a look on like the society he's growing up in where he probably can't explore those feelings and they're coming out in a like raging way yeah destructive way the way, the way I interpreted it was like, it was just a, a lot of um, uh, repressed feelings and emotions that just, you know, that just turned to rage for Bobby. Like, I, I always like, me, like, personally, like, the ones who are like, gay people shouldn't get married, like, people who are so against gay people, I'm like, yeah, like, they're probably gay and they're probably repressed. So if they can't do it, nobody else can. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Florida is an interesting place for that too, isn't it? Even today, how topical. Um, 
the cast here, we know Larry Clark likes to use relatively unknowns, which in retrospect, like a movie like Kids has like Rosario Dawson and a bunch of other people who later become recognized. At this point, he had a bit of a reputation, so he was able to cast some names, but it's sort of a mix here. Brad Renfro played Marty, and apparently... Actors like Jake Gyllenhaal, Aston Kutcher were both interested as well. That would have looked so weird watching it today if it was like Ashton Kutcher in the lead. But <laughs> or uh, who else? Uh, Zoe Deschanel was considered for Allie. Allie. Yeah, yeah, that would have been. I don't know if she would have had the. Um, that would have been an interesting career choice for her, where uh, she would have played this movie with the amount of nudity it was. There was. Yeah, because that's, like, not her patented character that she was later. And, like, it probably, I don't want to say would have ruined that, but I think probably Hollywood would have looked at her differently and maybe not cast her as, like, the the new girl kind of, like, fun twee queen that we had for a while. Um, (laughs) But you're absolutely right. Nick Stahl played Bobby Kent. Uh, Bayou Phillips ended up playing Allie. So she was popular because, again, famous parents. She apparently was a popular partier at the time, like akin to someone like a Paris Hilton, but not necessarily an actor. She hadn't acted at that point. Larry Clark said a lot of the funding came from her casting because people were curious, like what she was going to be like. She's she's like briefly and almost famous. She's in thing and things like that. I don't want to get too into her personal life. You guys could wiki it. Um, she's pretty controversial. I will mention on this set, she's been called out previously for actually bullying a particular actor, Daniel Franzis, who plays, I love his name, Cousin Joey Orlando. Yeah. This guy was just picked out of nowhere. Either the casting director or Larry Clark just saw him in a club and was like, oh, this guy's perfect for this role. And I think it was great. But apparently Bayou Phillips like was pretty homophobic to him and would physically abuse him and and ridicule him. And other actors would come to his defense. She's denied it, but it's just interesting that, like, apparently bullying was happening on the set of Bully. There is something to say about Larry Clark, though, that it's not going to come off as positive. Like, we saw this in Kids. A lot of the actors from his movies don't end up well after the movie, you know? (laughs) Yeah, true. Like, that's not necessarily, I guess, his responsibility. But I I think it's... I don't want to say funny. I think it's interesting, Dan, that you were drawn to this movie. But another movie... Again, the movie we just talked about, uh, City of God, has a lot of similar histories, like, with the people who were in it, right? And, again, I don't know... We had this debate last time. We'd have to get into it again. Like, you know, for that realness factor, sometimes you cast people who... Might be a little too real. Like, back to Brad Renfro. He passed away, I think, at 25? Yeah, from a heroin overdose, I think. Yeah. 25 years old. Insane. Uh, Insane. The older we get, the more that's like, fuck, man, right? Yeah. And this is somebody who had substance abuse issues while he was shooting this. He actually got arrested on the set for trying to... It said in I'm Doing Trivia, trying to steal a yacht in Florida. It's tough. I'm not prepared to make the indictment on Larry Clark for any of that, but this is how I see it. I think he's drawn to these kind of actors, and he doesn't necessarily do anything to stop their erratic behavior. 
because that's sort of what sort of the reason why he's drawn to them. I think that makes sense for him to do that. Like I don't know, like like I don't know, like uh, Larry Clark or what his sort of what he's like on set. Like, if is he kind of even though he was he was one of you know a, a deviant youth growing up in Oklahoma. I'm sure he has for him to do this kind of work, being a photographer and a filmmaker on this subject matter. Like, I'm sure he does have some insight and perspective of, of himself mm, for sure. and the people that he's working with. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if, if he kind of encourages that to, or just let it happen to sort of maintain that ethos of his work or, or maybe he's just not aware and he's just, just uh, crazy like everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, who knows? It's really hard to tell. Did any other characters or actors really stand out to you? Yeah, I really liked, um, I really enjoyed watching uh, Kelly Garner as Heather Swallers. Oh, yeah. she, was just, she was just such a fantastic, fun character in, in that clique. Yeah, I don't know. She just had like really good energy when, when she was uh, just like among, among like the, her, her friends. Claudia, was that the girl who worked at Pizza Hut? Yes. I, awesome. I wrote her down. Loved her. Natalie Holding as Claudia. So she she like she kind of she's almost like this divisive character where she kind of sets the boundary. Cause like when you watch this when you watch this movie, it kind of paints this picture where like, wow, all the teenagers in Hollywood, Florida, they're all really fucked up. But when you see Claudia, she kind of like sets that boundary where like, okay, like there is some hope for maybe maybe not for these kids in particular, but like that that community does have hope, and she was almost like this refreshing. There's nothing she didn't do anything special. All she did was um, she didn't snitch on her friends, and she worked at a pizza hut. And she, clearly, she was uh, more relatively more responsible than than uh, the rest of the cast. And just seeing her in that position was just like very refreshing. Yeah, it it almost it's like a ballast for the rest of what's happening. It makes it like. I mean, let me back up a little, but I think a criticism some people have of kids is like, oh, is Larry Clark saying all kids are like this? You know, you walk down the streets of New York City and it's it's just, you know, drug addicted skateboarders. And but like in this film, she's she's that character to tell you, like, wait a minute, not all these kids from Hollywood, Florida. There's certainly some class things he depicts in this film for sure. But she's doing her job. She goes to work. She's on time. Uh, she's still friends with the other kids, but she has a sense of responsibility. And, you know, it doesn't mean, like, hope in this situation, in this community, is not necessarily like, oh, she's going to Columbia next, and then she's, the college, I mean, and she's going to, you know, discover the cure for cancer. But she's straight enough to go to work, do her job, and probably live a normal, well-adjusted life, whatever that means, right? And all it took was just her to have a job. That's all it took. And her job was to work at Pizza Hut. And not that there's anything wrong with like working at Pizza Hut, but like he definitely paints his like landscape of Hollywood, Florida, where it's just it's just like a very like mundane sort of suburb in in Florida, and just filled with strip malls and Pizza Huts. And maybe maybe it sounds a little elitist coming from us because like you know like we have New York and all that and. LA and whatever but 
I feel like that's what like most of America is like. It's just strip malls and, and like franchise stores. Hollywood is just another town like that. Again, in City of God, at least the trailer was like, on the edge of Rio de Janeiro, right? This isn't like just north of Miami. There's a <laughs> yeah. town, right? No, they don't show Miami. They don't even show like downtown Fort Lauderdale. Like we see the yeah. beach, but it doesn't seem like it's like a hip resort beach, which are located close to there. There are like very distinct shots of the setting where you like these drive by shots and it's nothing glamorous. It's just a couple exactly. of palm trees, some homes, a couple of strip malls, a pizza hut. And now that's it. That's Hollywood, Florida for you. The other thing about Florida that I think he does so well, and I guess this is no shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But you hear subtle lines of a couple families being like, Oh, this is better than New Jersey or, or um, some other places in the country. And Florida is such a transient state in that. A tra- I guess transient is not a bad word, but like Florida is a state where a lot of people from the Northeast and other parts of the country like move to start a different life. Mm-hmm. And you hear whispers of that here or there, but it's not. The funny thing is like, oh, it's not as glamorous as some people might think. But I don't think necessarily he's going there. I think he's just pretty subtle about it in that case. He clearly wanted to mention that in the film he clearly made a conscious choice that some characters would say that but i don't know i think it's just his way of as you kind of alluded to really painting a picture of that specific setting and what it was like to potentially be there so again great job in that part let's talk favorite scenes moments i think you get in this film like that classic Larry Clark soundtrack, if you will, of like sort of the certain style of hip hop. I mean, I remember hearing it in kids, right? Like I have the kids soundtrack on vinyl and it's just, it's almost like an ambient hip hop that's in the background. I think there's like a couple hit songs. It's like that Dr. Dre Eminem song. But aside from that, it's like, I don't know. I've always liked how he mirrors that with white culture, if that makes sense. You know, yeah, it's definitely intentional. Yeah, he's, he's really good at that. He just hits this certain group of people in America that's not really represented in Hollywood films. And especially yeah. teen films, right? How many teen films yeah. showcase these kind of people? Yeah, and it's just, it's always just so spot on. A couple of moments that made me laugh, a couple of moments that made me like, wow. I think one of my favorite, the most emotionally powerful moment was, I think you might agree to, was when um, Marty Puccio asks his little brother, he's like, hey, what happened to your earring? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He puts, the, he puts the earring in his little brother's ear and gives him a hug and tells him I love you. Like, that happens after he killed his best friend. That's crazy. And Larry Clark takes the time to even humanize this character even more after after he murdered his best friend. You know, there, there's like these really, like, it's almost like beautiful, these moments of, like, vulnerability of, of Marty where... The one scene is him and his little brother with the earring. And the other scene is, I think it was like one of the, when he first started dating Lisa and they're having, they had sex and they're having pillow talk. And it's almost like the first time in the movie, maybe like 15 minutes in, you really hear Marty speaking for himself. Good point. And he opens up to Lisa of how he grew up with uh, Bobby Kent and how he's abusive to him. And uh, I, I don't know. I just, I just thought that was like a really, like raw, real, like beautiful moment in that in that scene when he talks about how he was uh, how he's being abused by his best friend and the fact that that's like his first real like dialogue 
um, with somebody in that movie, and it's coming from him, not from his best friend. And they're so quick in a sense with uh, with her. She says like, and I laughed, but she says like, "I love you," or "I love this guy," and then "I love you" so fast into their relationship. There's something about it's going to sound weird, but there's something about just like the horniness of teens, right? Like when you're young and you're confusing feelings, uh, almost oh, yeah, says yeah. like sex disguised as love, love disguised as sex, right? It's just yeah. everything's going in and like you can have, not that you can't have these today, but as a teen or a young person, even college, right? Like when you're exploring your sexual feelings you're not sure what this means or what that means so you a lot of people can confuse it all like for the same thing there and that's why like yes some of it can feel voyeuristic but some of it actually feels pretty real that they are having some of their deepest most emotional conversations they're like you know real key dialogue here is happening either right after sex sometimes during sex I don't know. I, ju- I just feel like that's that can be realistic for a young person who's yeah. starting to get in touch with their body and their emotions. Yeah, like you mentioned uh, how Lisa is so quick to fall in love with him. And there was like, there were two moments and I don't know, if, I don't know if this was, int- it probably was intentional, but it, it's almost like like the director is like kind of shitting on Lisa's idea of what love is or her her delusion of her her current love when when for example when she wakes up the next morning at, at her home and she's in like a really happy mood and tells her mom about Marty and like oh Marty like he's such a hunk like oh I met a new guy I have a new boyfriend she already calls him she already calls him her yeah, boyfriend yeah. to her mom and and the mom was like, oh, yeah, who is he? Like, He's like, oh, he's a hunk. And the mom's like, oh, yeah? And she says, yeah, you, you have to meet him. And, then, and the next shot is when they're in the gay club. Yeah. <laughs> so, so effective there. And then um, they show briefly, like, shots of, like, pictures of guys in her room and they're hunks. Then she talks about it. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. got, like, uh, fo- she has photos on her wall. And then they cut to, like, the hunks, if you will, of the gay club. Which yeah. still bizarre that it's like teen boy night essentially. Yeah, there was another moment like that when she's talking to Claudia outside of Pizza Hut about Marty being her, being her new boyfriend, and uh, Bobby Ken and Marty picks her up, and she just like gets in the car and you just you just see Marty just like with his head back on the headrest like doesn't even move or flinch and he just drives away. God, right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, there's nothing glamorous about this film, but it, it again feels realistic. I'll say it again: not that you and I were involved in any kind of murder like that, but it's it's a pretty accurate portrait of those teenage emotions and honestly how they can go awry. Mm-hmm. Again, there's I mentioned there's a lot of there's a couple depictions of rape here, and it's pretty it's pretty graphic. Uh, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. And it's also, it's really what happened, apparently, right? In in this particular situation. I don't think anyone necessarily feels bad for Bobby Kent because we see the kind of monster he is. Another, I think, effective tool 
with that is like the father, right? Uh, Bobby Kent's father is like constantly blaming Marty as being the reason that Bobby Kent isn't doing well at things, right? He fails to see that his son's a bit of a sociopath himself. What do you think of the adults overall in the film? The adults, the, the parents in this movie, it's like one of my favorite things about this movie. Because first of all, like it, it shows that none of these kids, they didn't like grow up in poverty. Maybe some of them had some traumatic childhoods or maybe all of them, but they didn't grow up in poverty. They're not homeless. They come from these middle-class families, like having candlelit dinners, having dinner together every night. And there's there's a few scenes where they're all, where they're all having a meal together. Um, so it doesn't suggest that they come from like a broken home or anything, but it shows that they're just kids. They're just kids from a household with a mom and dad and a brother. You know, like I, I think none of the relationships with the parents like obviously suggest like like that they, they were abused or or they were except except Heather's character like she, she kind of goes deep into that, but oh, it yeah. just shows a glimpse of like the, the just like where that damage comes from, and a lot of it just comes from just like a lack of supervision too from from the parents and you kind of tell the parents do have good intentions for the kids but like they just don't know how to do it either they don't know how to raise they don't know how to raise kids it seems like there's just such a disconnect like they are asking them questions but they're like accepting these like banal answers right it's not like oh let me meet him what what does he do and it's just like oh that's nice you know i love the depiction of the parents here too i think it's just really hits home of like what potentially could be going on here in, in a subtle but uh, super effective way. The parents always show up in certain moments where you're just reminding, where you're just reminding the audience that these are just kids where, you know, like they're talking about how to murder Bobby Kent, but like the mom might scream. It's like, Oh kids, like dinner's ready. You know, like, like the contrast of that really is pretty powerful. I want to talk about assembling sort of this crew. This isn't like Ocean's Eleven here. Um, When they decide that they uh, want to kill Mr. Kent here, it's really, I keep, keep coming back to the word subtle, right? Like they're just like banding about silly ideas. Like, oh, maybe we'll do a drive by. Not that I want to play in the perfect murder, but the fact that they're like involving so many people in this, unnecessarily right it's not like oh this person's gonna be the bag man and this person's gonna smuggle the gun in and this person's gonna drive right they're like so casual about it like yeah we're gonna kill him oh cool this person might want in on that this person might know something and eventually what we get like seven kids who are gonna be involved in this half-assed murder scheme and and also including i wasn't sure his age but it, it was the dude played by uh, Leo Fitzpatrick. We know Leo Fitzpatrick. Yeah, from... that guy was awesome. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite characters in this movie. <laughs> we know him from Kids. Um, he played Telly in Kids, so they've obviously worked together. He's like, like this movie's not a comedy, but he's sort of like, like he reminded me of a character you'd see in like a Napoleon Dynamite or a movie like that, like, like the know-it-all. Like he's the hitman, but like, what qualifications does he have? He hangs out with like younger kids than them you know like yeah. those like his his little like gang of like little kids playing pool and drinking beers is so it's so amazing 
And they all, they, like, they all yeah. see him as this, like, hitman, this authority. And, like, when they go to him, like, oh, can you get us a gun? And it's like, you know, you got to really convince me why we would yeah. need a gun, you know? Come up and, with a plan and, and we'll even, figure it out. Even his dad is just as weak as him mm-hmm. and his sons. Because he's completely powerless from his situation. And it's almost like he's, it's almost like he's, like, a kid, too, hanging out with them. And just has absolutely no say in what's going on. Yeah, that character just really, really stuck out to me. I think Leo Fitzpatrick does an amazing job playing him. He clearly was not an expert. He's like, I guess knows a little bit more than them, but he's not an expert at all. Like when he's talking to the kid about that one kid who's like a real idiot. What'd you think about, I I can't believe I'm like segueing here, but what'd you think about like the whole murder we get and, and how the plan using quotation marks gets executed? It's not like your typical calculated, cold-blooded murder. I don't know. Like I keep using the word cold-blooded because I don't think any of these, any of the the characters, at least in the movie, I viewed as cold-blooded because they all they all talk about like murdering Bobby Kent as if it's like just going to be like another hanging out event, and they don't fully realize the gravity of the situation that they're putting themselves in until it actually happens and when it actually does happen there's so much like anxiety and fear and chaos and disorganization when when they're when they're like stabbing him and killing him clearly like i've never like been involved in murder but i I feel like that's i imagine that's like more realistic for a bunch of for a bunch of teenagers to do something like that because clearly they're like nobody is really prepared to do something like that and when they actually do do it, they just freak out. Yeah. And my favorite parts almost come during this moment and after this moment. They're all rationalizing what they think their role is. The one guy's like, you stabbed him first, but it was only a little, you know. Yeah, I saw it. went that much. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's going to get you out of it. They're Like, they'll talk to their friends. They're all talking to each other like, well, you know, I really didn't do anything there. And I wasn't the one who did this. So, and... They really think they're going to get away with it. Not in a conniving way, right? Like, they're nervous, but they convince themselves at at certain times after this murder that, like, it's going to be okay. And they think they have plans. Like, again, the one girl goes to her her friend, the Pizza Hut friend, and is like, hey, what's up? Oh, I murdered someone, you know, whatever. Hey, can you be my, like, do my alibi? Let's say we hung out. And she's like, what? (laughs) You know? That's when the scene with the earring happens. Uh, I, I, the one kid, the the cousin, cousin Joey or whatever, he definitely seems a little bit. He feels a little guilty. He tells that one friend or whatever. And it's not even that much of the movie, right? Maybe it's ten minutes, but it's like the after the murder for me, I, I love seeing where the stories were going because it wasn't even the clear like how they got caught in this film. In the film, it seems like. The way that they were really caught was when Lisa was talking on the phone with Allie and her mom catches her. And then the next scene, you see Marty Puccio getting arrested by the cops. But it wasn't in a way where it's like, like you don't know, you don't see anything from the cops side of it, right? You don't see any like investigation or, or, oh my goodness, we found this clue, right? It just snaps to there. And then just back quickly to the stupid things they do with this body, right? They're like, oh, we're going to put it in the swamp for the gators. And, and it doesn't go there. So, they, And they drive back like three or four times. Ugh, it's just such a mess. Do you think, let's say they did get 
have their alibi straight and they didn't talk to anyone and they all just kept their mouths shut, would they have gotten away with the murder? Probably not. I don't think so, just because they were so sloppy and I don't want to say obvious, but like the cops are going to talk to the friends first, no matter what. And even when um, the the dude, uh, the hitman, if you will, was like, let's get our story straight. They still didn't have their story straight. Like, I cannot imagine that under pressure, seven people wouldn't crack. And I think you'd have to be like Russian mafia to have seven people know about a murder and none of them crack. Right. Like that's too many people to get involved in something. And have nobody say anything to anyone for the rest of their lives. It's like, I know what you did last summer shit, right? Like, that's not, <laughs> that's not realistic to me. Again, I'm not planning a murder here, if anyone thinks that, right? But I will say, if I were to plan a murder, the less people I tell about it, the better, right? Right, right. Yeah, I don't think there was any way they weren't getting caught. They didn't seem like... It didn't seem like a well-thought-out plan. <laughs> oh, of course not. <laughs> It was just another party for them, and you could already. There's already. There was definitely a, a part when Donnie and uh, was it Uncle Uncle Joey? Was it? Oh, cousin Joey. Yeah. When the cousin they go play when they they like smoke weed and like dropped acid and they went to go play uh, Mortal Kombat, and there was that scene where they were like, "Oh, finish him," or or what's it, fatality, and. In that game, you you like you kill somebody at the end, like in a very graphic way, and they were like, "Oh, they were like all freaking out about it." And Michael, character Donnie, he starts throwing up after that, and it's like that's just another thing saying, "Oh, like clearly they're obviously not prepared and won't be able to handle what they're about to do." He shows those video games, you know, a couple times, right? Do you think he was making a statement, like? oh, this is why they think they could even murder someone because violence has been desensitized? Or is that just not the Larry Clark way? No, I don't think so. I, I, I never I never even thought of that because, because clearly they're not desensitized because their reaction was the complete opposite of desensitization. That's an interesting point, but I never really thought of that. It was, uh, it was like that. Yeah, I was just curious because I think a lot of people would draw that line. Um, you know, again, we talked about it. I think a little bit on on Elephant, right? Like, I think Elephant, there's a clear connection to that. Yeah, because even even in the news as well, after Columbine did actually happen, like that was that was one of the conversations that was going around the news. It's like, oh, like movies, car- movies and media and video games are they influencing our children to, you know, do school sh- shootings? Now with with Bully, it's, it was quite the opposite where they're so they're so vulnerable to violence yeah rather than an elephant it's like the kid was walking around with like no emotions shooting everyone yeah no that's a really good call i i tend to be in agreement with you on that but i just figured i'd ask because again it was it was so in your face those video game scenes and you know again maybe he's just commenting on the opposite anything else in the film that you wanted to discuss that we didn't get to um how about uh, Marty's family? What do you think about Marty's family? Where you have the mom, the dad, the little brother, and the grandma. That first shot when you see Marty's mom, when when was it? He like, I think it's like when he was waking up the next morning and you see this shot of his mom's face. She's like, she looks so weird. Yeah. Like, I'm a big woman. 
don't know, I just thought that was really funny. And then the, the dinner table scene when he's asking his parents, uh, like he wants to move away from Bobby Ken and he, you know, he flips out and says, he's like, fuck this. And the grandma just, oh, like she just yeah, has like, yeah. this moan. <laughs> Two things on that one dinner scene. The, the boys in the family don't have shirts. Hilarious, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing with that that I thought was interesting was he is literally crying for help. He's not saying exactly why. He's literally saying, I am being bullied. Something needs to be done here. And his parents aren't really receptive to that. Again, maybe he didn't use the right language, but I don't think kids are always going to use the right language. These kids have, uh, have known each other since childhood. You're not going to just call that all the time like wow he's he's getting bullied by his best friend like that so i think that's a little bit of a warning to saying to like adults like you know we need to listen a little closer to the kids at, at certain points what do you think of um michael pitt's character donnie is that oh ali's ali's boyfriend oh yeah 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 he had some really great lines i'm, I'm glad you brought him up how about when he's talking about his his mom planning his 18th birthday. Oh yeah. He's like, oh, he's like clowns and like rides and stuff. And just another reminder is like, these are just, these are just kids still living with their parents. Like there's, there's always that constant reminder of that throughout the movie. He was great. He had some great lines. I forgot who says this line as I'm just like looking through my notes when they go back to the body and they see like the crabs eating it. And someone goes like nature's gross or something along those lines i'm trying to find it it's just so like oh nature sucks is the line <laughs> just like what <laughs> it's so crazy that we could laugh at those moments but I, I i can't help it right like if some kid looks at like the the body they just murdered and somebody they knew yeah someone how, they how knew. About like, on the way so actually that, that, that was a great scene on the just reminded me so on the way to the to the location where they killed Bobby, they start talking about a concert. Him and um, Bobby Kent start talking about a concert. They went, they both like went to or something and they like made this like connection, like this really like, really, it was, even though it was very brief, it's like they connected on like a, like a very human and friendship level where, where they were talking about a concert and this song turned on and, the whole room was lit and they're both like high-fiving each other because they both experienced that same moment. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, because awesome. it was like, oh, everyone toked yeah. up at the same time. It was awesome. Yeah. <sighs> That's what makes it so interesting and weird. Like, should should uh, Bobby have suspected something, you think? Um, no, I don't think so. Back to what we said at the beginning, right? Like, is he a bully? Yes, but he, I don't think he sees himself as that. As weird as it yeah, sounds, yeah, he realizes that he's he's a yeah. He he doesn't realize it that he's a bully. No, so he trusts these people. I mean, he's a little suspicious, but it's not like they're going to kill me. Suspicious. He's more like, wait, why are we driving out there? Why am I going with these yeah. guys? You know. But it's not like, oh, I think they're going to kill me. It's more just like, I don't want this. Like, I just. Just want a blowjob. Wait, there's another line she says when they're talking about like r driving her car. She says it like five times. Oh, I, I figured we could dog out my five five or something like. And she says it like yeah. three or four times. Like let's dog out my five point oh. Great, great lines in this. I mean, that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about. I think there's a lot of like th there's a lot of good analysis about this yeah. film. I, I think it's one of these films that 
really makes you you think about this thing and and not in a it's weird because it's heavy-handed in certain senses but it's not heavy-handed in message necessarily it's just like visually heavy-handed and not again not forcing it down your throat it's just like a lot of sex and a lot of nudity and a lot of violence and cursing the the one thing i kept asking myself and that when i was watching is, is lisa's mom is and i always wonder like is Lisa's mom a good mom? Like, is she a good parent? It seems like she's like, she seems pretty supportive for Lisa with her new boy, like before she met Marty or anything. Like, I don't think she ever met Marty, but she's obviously very supportive, it seems like, and out to protect her and very, you know, inviting to her friends. Like, you know that, like, I love that one scene where they're all laying in her bedroom and her mom comes in and she's like, hey kids, did you have supper yet? And they're all just like laying on top of each other, like half naked. Yeah. Like, like if my mom walked in on that, like she would have freaked out. You know? <laughs> so, like, hey kids, because yeah, in my mind, like, oh, what a cool mom! But like, is that is that good parenting? I don't know. But there's definitely moments where she attempts to sort of put her foot down, and be like, hey, like you know, you guys, all you guys do is just hang out. You guys don't don't work. You guys don't do anything. You know. She she's trying. Again, you and I are both not parents of teenagers. I, I just know it a little bit from my parents. Not so much. I feel like my mother was pretty observant when it came to stuff. But I see it with a lot of other kids. And I, I certainly, maybe not so much today, to be honest with you. I feel like we get more helicopter parents today. But growing up, there were certain parents who put the blinders on, if you will. Like, it's easier to not see something than to see something. And a lot of parents do that here. It's not... And I think maybe what Larry Clark's trying to say is... Asking is good, but you kind of need to use your context clues as well a little bit if you really want to get involved in the situation. Also, he could be saying that it's inevitable, that you can't stop this. I don't know. But in terms of if she's a good mother, I think she's a... Good mother, but clearly not good enough to avoid this kind of situation. Right, right. The, the parenting is so, like, listless. Yeah, listless is, is a good way to put it. It's like, and, and anytime they try to exert, like, exert their parenting, it's always, it's, it's always like, I don't want to say the wrong way, but like you said before, there's always a disconnect to it. It's, like, almost mirrored by my perception that there's humidity everywhere here. That, you know, that feeling when you're just humid, you know? Like, you just, yeah, like, yeah. like that feels like the parenting as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're just like, ugh. It's heavy and tired. Yeah, exactly. That's the it parenting. Is what it is. <laughs> oh, man. That's the nightmare, though, as a parent, right? Like, your kid's involved with a murder somehow? Like, that's just the nightmare. Or obviously getting murdered, too. But any any kind of involvement in murder whatsoever. Um, let's get to our, let's get to our questions. If there's if there's nothing else on bully, I think you know might spark some conversation as well. Um, who do you think this movie was made for? Oh wow, that's that's a tough question, man. Um, I think for was this movie uh, actually? I was curious. Was this movie released in theaters or was it a select limited release? It debuted at Cannes and it was released mm-hmm. in select theaters. It did not make very much money you know it wasn't profitable mm-hmm. if i were going to answer this question i think it's like very much an auteur film it's very much like you're going to see a larry clark film i don't know if they're necessarily right. looking for this film to make like a, a monster load of money 
So yeah, I was going to say maybe like exactly just film buffs, um, especially after the release of kids there, people would know what they're walking into. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely not like a mass general release. You know, you're not going to go see this at AMC theaters at, in, in Palisades Mall. No, definitely not. It would have been cool, though. If I saw this movie in high school, I would have thought it was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Most likely to succeed. Which, this is a tough one, I think. Which character won the movie? Oh. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I was going to say Bobby Kent. <laughs> but definitely not. Yeah, that is definitely. Um, in the movie or in real life? In the movie. In the movie. In the movie? Not a lot of winners. Yeah. Mm. You know what? I think it's, I think I would have to say Lisa because I think, actually, yeah, I would say Lisa because her ultimate goal was to get Bobby away from Marty. But that was really stemming from selfish reasons because she wanted Marty all to herself. Yeah. Uh, maybe because because they went to jail, that clearly didn't happy, happen, but she was successful in, you know, planting that seed in Marty's head to kill Marty. I mean, kill Bobby, and it actually did happen. Like, if, if you have to declare a winner, sure, right? But I really can't think of anyone else. I'm looking through my notes. Um, <laughs> this is not a movie of winners. Um, right. <laughs> I, I'm only laughing because it's just like, yeah. I mean, I, I'm going back to that last, last scene with them in the, the jury booth, and they're all just like, bickering with each other and everyone in that courtroom knows it's fucking over there's no way anyone's gonna get acquitted from this one like they're all turning right. on each other like <laughs> it's almost a farce at this point even like the, the the people he decides to like show in the audience of the courtroom like there's the there's the little kid in in um what's his name Derek and leo fitzpatrick's like little gang there's like one of the kids yeah yeah <laughs> i mean i know this isn't like a Wes Anderson movie, but the Leo Fitzpatrick character also reminds me kind of like a, a Wes Anderson character. And like the kid reminds me of almost like a Wes Anderson kid, you know, like, it's, yes, yes. <laughs> it doesn't look like that, but it definitely like feels like that. You could see a world where that, this is sort of a Wes Anderson scene. Wooderson award. Is there a character in this film that you would have liked to have seen a little bit more of? Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Man, I love there's that one scene when that girl on the rollerblades hits on Marty. Oh yeah. Like that scene was so hot. Like like that I thought that scene was more like titillating than the sex scenes itself. I, I would agree with that. I think it's depicted there's that so way. Much, there's so much tension in that scene and there's so much potential. And plus that girl, I don't know who that actress was, but she was smoking hot and and it was just like, oh my god, like Bobby Kent just just, just blows it like for Marty. By calling out, hey, like, which had a, what do you say, like, your fat girlfriend, your fat pregnant girlfriend, or yeah, something? like, which he's not wrong, you know what I mean? But you're absolutely right, and I think this scene is put in there too to show that like Bobby's not a good guy, but Marty isn't like the best guy either at this. Oh point. yeah, of course. They're cut from the same cloth. He's not a bully. Yeah, but hey, how could I put Larry Clark? You're absolutely right. He does it in a way where you're almost rooting for Marty. Because of the way he shoots it, she she is so seductive. She is like, and she knows him from his surfing days, his successful days. Um, oh, so yeah, to answer your question, 
I'm, I'm not gonna say that scene or that girl in particular, but maybe. But that, I don't know. That question is reminding me of that scene. But I would have liked to seen more of. Um, I, I would have to say uh, Leo Fitzpatrick's character, <laughs> only because it was just so much fun to watch in that movie. The more I think about this movie, the more I'm drawn into that character for whatever reason. Like, this was my first watch, so I'm more like, oh, murder, murder. But, like, as I think back, I'm like, that character was fun. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Um, I wonder if Bobby Kent's dad, if he wasn't in the movie. Interesting. Or if he was taken out completely, that would have just left more room to be like, oh, like, why is, why is Bobby like the way he is? So I wonder if, if he was out of the movie, that would have just added a more of a, um, you know, a more questionable sort of past for his character. I think you're right about that. I, I, I liked the character, but if you want a little bit more mystery into the bully, because that's pretty much our only explanation. There's two explanations, right? It's that he's potentially repressed and gay. And the second explanation is his father sort of puts him on a pedestal. Uh, as opposed to his other friends. So I could see that, right? That makes sense. Cameron Fry Award. <laughs> this one's tough because this is the question that says, like, were they too old to play high schoolers? But we don't know everyone's exact age here. Um, yeah. So I think we'll just have to skip that one. They definitely don't act old enough. Like, they don't act like adults. Like, they think they're acting like adults, but they definitely, you know, are not. There was that one, there was that one weird scene now that, that seemed really out of character, but it does make sense. You remember that scene when Bobby Kent, before he rapes Allie, he's talking about like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna go to community, I'm gonna go to college soon. I got like four credits left before I graduate, and my dad's gonna help me open up a a, a stereo window tinting store. Like he just he's just, he's coming off as his responsible human being. Yeah, like, I mean, I read that that's how the neighbors of Bobby Kent. That's how they viewed him. He was like this responsible young man. But in reality, like towards his friends, he was just this piece of shit bully. I think the movie didn't do enough of that because I read that as well. They compared, you know, the the Eddie Haskell stereotype. All the adults think he's amazing. But, uh, you know, behind the scenes, he's kind of a dick. I wish there was a little bit more of that, to be honest with you, because we only get that from that scene, really. Like, I don't know why at times when I'm watching the father that he thinks he's amazing and a little bit more of that would have helped me get there. Let's grade the movie then. Let's look at our cheat sheet. Interesting scores today. 54% by the critics on Rotten Tomatoes. So truly split down the middle. 69% by the audience. But 3.4 on Letterboxd out of 5. Anything in the threes is considered a, a good movie. Uh, but forget that. Let's throw it all out. You got the manila card. You have the red pen. A plus to F scale. What will you grade, Bully? Um, I would give it a B plus. B plus for Bully. Why doesn't get the A for you? The reason why I like this movie is very limited in all aspects of movie making. I guess you know. I, I think the actors, the acting was amazing. I mean, the story is based on a true story, and that's enough for me to like this movie and give it a B plus. But when it comes to would I rewatch this again? Was did the production value wow me? It, it didn't. Uh, it didn't do it for me in that aspect. So I had I had very 
limited reasons why I like this movie. Want to talk about this movie? I'm with you. I gave it a B. I had more fun, I think, talking about it today than I did watching it. Not that I didn't like it. I mean, I thought it was good. I don't think it deserves all the like the shit it gets from certain critics. But reflecting on it gave me more joy than actually watching it. I don't know how much rewatchability it has, quite frankly. Look at yourself, right? Like you, you saw it originally. You saw it this time. Mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't rewatch it again unless it, unless it was for this podcast. You know, f- fair enough. You know, you and I were at the, the bully slumber party. What does your bully-themed sleeping bag look like? I bet you no one has ever asked that question about this film. Oh, man. Wait, do you do you answer this one, too? I do, I do. Uh, you should go first, because I, I was thinking about this earlier today, and I was like, I have no clue. So this is a weird one, but hear me out. It's only going to be a half sleeping bag. And a half sleeping bag? Because the other half is just going to, we're going to be shirtless in it, you know? Yes. <laughs> so I don't care, just like it's a generic color or whatever, but it only comes up to our waist so that we can just be shirtless sticking out of it. <laughs> what about the design? Okay, you know what? If, if this steals yours, as I apologize, but I want now, it's a half sleeping bag, but it's a Pizza Hut themed uh, sleeping bag. That's the design. Like a lot of those like Pizza Hut oh, logos. Oh, okay. Like you, you like you went to Pizza Hut enough to get <laughs> What about you? Any anything oh, come cool. to mind? How about like a sleeping bag with with uh Leo Fitzpatrick's character's tattoo on it. Oh. CMF, crazy motherfucker. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Actually, I can think of a lot for this one. Yeah, that's a good one. I agree. Enough across the sleeping bag. <laughs> CMF. My third sleeping bag then would be. It just looks like it's covered in crabs, like crabs are like oh, you know. I was gonna. You stole my idea, but keep going. I was gonna say something. And then yeah. and then it says nature sucks on it. That's what I want. <laughs> I was gonna say like, how about like a alligator shaped sleeping bag, and like the opening is like the alligator's like mouth. So that's cool i like that yeah see a lot of good ideas here i thought we were gonna have go. none a lot of good ideas for this film this is my favorite question every week though you and i were at the magical blockbuster that has every movie that has ever existed up until this point we know we are renting the physical copy of bully but we get to the front we see a sign at the counter it says rent two movies get one free and i say dan go to the back Pick two other movies that you would watch with Bully in a triple feature. What two other movies will you pick? I thought about this one, and Bully would go with Elephant and Spring Breakers. Oh, Spring Breakers. Interesting. Just the theme of the uniquely American deviant youth theme. Love those picks. I think we had to pick Elephant. We talked about it a lot here, too, so... Good call there. Yeah, I think this was an awesome movie to talk about. Thank you for suggesting it. Um, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Um, I mean, I already mentioned to you about other potential movies. Oh yeah, I, you have a really good list. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. I went. I went down. A, I went down a wormhole. <laughs> All right, Dan. Thanks again. I'm gonna go dog out my 5.0. I, I really, <laughs> I really, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks. He said he said something where it's like it's not a five point or like this car is a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This is a five point. I forget what it was though. <laughs> There's a point yeah. too where they're like, he's like, oh yeah, we're gonna race my my Mustang against the or the Mustang against the five point. He's like, why? Like, 
<laughs> yeah, I do love that part. Love having my good friend Danny Kim on. Hope we did some justice to that discussion. If you are a fan of Bully, or maybe more importantly, if you're not a fan of Bully, I want to hear from you. Hit us up once again on social media, High School Slumber Party everywhere. Also, I have a personal Twitter. I don't tweet much, and people don't like my tweets, so maybe it doesn't matter. But it is oh my Rodriguez, O-H-M-Y Rodriguez. Was thinking about Danny Kim a lot today, because as you know, probably as a listener of the show, I live in the great city of New York, and we are one of the places affected by this poor air quality situation that's happening, right? So, you know, residual effects from that Canadian wildfire, and Danny Kim is out there in L.A., as a firefighter, and I know he has a lot of experience with that, and I know California deals with this a lot more than we usually do here in the Northeast, but I gotta say, I hope this isn't our future. They say this is going to happen more and more often. Not cool. (laughs) Anywho, remember to check out the aforementioned social media if you want to know what the next episode is, so definitely, definitely check it out. But now it's time to crawl into the old sleeping bag, hit the hay, say goodnight. So let's leave you with another song off the Bully soundtrack. And that is a song called Joyride. Who is it by? It is by Bomber. Easy enough. (laughs) One more thing. Life moves pretty fast. And if you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. Later, friends. Go.